All right. Well, here we go. Um, let me give you a, a brief update on what's coming over the next couple of weeks. And then I've got about maybe a 20-minute message this morning. I just want to I want to just give us a few thoughts today. Um, I'm hoping it will be of some encouragement. More than anything, what I'm believing for is there will just be something practical we can kind of take home with us um, as we're stepping into all that new year, new seasons, new year's resolution type stuff in our lives. So, um, but, but before we jump into it really quick, next Sunday, if it is at all possible for you to be here, um, and if you, if you have to miss, please go online a couple days later and listen to the message. It's our state of the church address. Um, we're going to do an update. We'll reflect back on 2018, celebrate some things that God has done in our midst. We'll look ahead to this year um, for things we're believing for as we step into the new year. There's really cool announcements. There's some big steps of faith we're taking as a church. And so um, we just want to invite everybody into what's going on. So if you could be here next Sunday, that would be great. And then many of you know we were doing a series through the fall into the Christmas season um, on the Holy Spirit called Abide. We've really been taking our time. We've been living in the Abide series. Um, we kind of paused over the holidays. And so after the State of the Church address, I'm going to wrap that series up over two to three weeks. Um, we're going to talk about the gifts of the Spirit is where we're going to finish. And part of why we waited um, is we wanted people to be able to process this stuff together um, at least on your own and wrestle through it, but hopefully in a life group where you can kind of talk and learn and be sharpened and even practice some gifts like speaking encouragement into each other, things like that. And so it's, it's just a healthy, safe place to learn and grow together. And so that was kind of intentional to wait till our life groups got back going. Um, it's a great on-ramp to jump into life groups. I think most of them start back next week. So this week is probably the last week off for most of them they start back. So we'd love to have you jump into one. All right, let me pray one more time, and then we are going to talk about a feast this morning, a feast. All right, so Lord Jesus, would you come and make your word come alive? Jesus, we thank you. That's who you are. You're the word who became flesh and dwelt among us. Now we're believing your word would come alive in our hearts, and it would be a part of who we are, God, that we would live this out. We would manifest this word in our lives today. Holy Spirit, would you come and do what only you can do? Be our teacher, our guide, our helper. Father, we love you. We thank you that your word and your spirit, they're gifts that come from you so we can live the life you're inviting us into, a life of abiding in you, a life of abundance, a life of your presence. No matter the circumstances, it's your faithfulness with us. We want to be awake to that this year. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. All right, so um, I would encourage you to dig into the notes more if you're interested in some of the things we're gonna talk about this morning. There's a few places where I'm just gonna give some bullet points, um, but we are talking about the Feast of Trumpets this morning, a Feast of Trumpets. Um, my pastor back in Franklin every now and then will break out this old like ram's horn shofar and blow that thing. Um, and I just couldn't rally myself to do that this morning. So um, you're welcome. Uh, there's no trumpet blowing today. Um, but we're talking about the Feast of Trumpets. For reference, you can find this, this feast being talked about or explained in Leviticus chapter 23, verses 23 through 25, and also Numbers 29, verses 1 and 6. Um, what, 
what might be more familiar to you is what's known as Rosh Hashanah. That's what we're talking about this morning. The very name means head of the year. So it's kind of an interesting thing. There's these spring feasts and fall feasts for the Jewish people, um, but the fall feasts, the several of them, get kicked off with Rosh Hashanah, which is the start of their year. Now, originally when it was instituted, it was the seven month of the year. And then later on in their history, their calendar changed and it became the start of the new year. They start every year with this feast, all right? Now, it's a specific day, but then there's a season it kicks off that lasts 10 days. And at the end of that 10 days, you arrive at Yom Kippur, the day of atonement. So here's what, here's kind of the heart behind this feast. The idea is a, a season, they call it 10 days of awe, A-W-E, not awe, cute, but awe, like wonder, being amazed. 10 days of awe, but also 10 days of repentance. Now, believe it or not, those two things, they go hand in hand. When you have an awe-inspiring encounter with Jesus, it will bring about some immediate humility, right? When Peter watched the miracle of Jesus busting their nets with fish, he immediately stops, drops to his knees. He doesn't say, this is super cool. He says, get away from me. I'm a sinful man. When, when we have an encounter with the living God, we're immediately aware of our shortcoming. The beauty is the day of atonement that's coming, Because of the goodness and love of our God, he covers and deals with our sin. So so repentance isn't bad news. If you don't hear anything else this morning, I hope you hear that. If you don't know Jesus, repentance is good news. You get to see him for who he is. You get to acknowledge your, your shortcomings, your failings, and the gospel of Jesus is that you are loved and forgiven and redeemed. He's atoned for your sin. As followers of Jesus, as people who know him and walk with him, repentance is good news. It's an opportunity for forgiveness, for a season of refreshing and change. And I I find it interesting that they don't start their year with resolutions. They start their year with repentance. It's a combination of reflecting on who God is and being in awe of him and letting him fill our eyes and some self-reflection and saying, God, here's some things I want to acknowledge before you. I, I repent. Would you forgive me? Would you change me? It's amazing how outward focused we can get when it comes to New Year's resolutions. What do I want to change around me? What do I want to change when I look in the mirror? But the reality is God's after our heart. And so if we could start like they do with, with a season of awe, letting God fill our minds, fill our hearts, fill our vision, and a season of some personal reflection to repent. All right, so that's basically the message. So I want to unpack a few things for you to hopefully make this applicable for us. But that's the heart of the message. And so I want to encourage you to start your year like that. I think awe and repentance work together. You know, I think both seeing God for who he is brings us to a place of humility. But I also think for some of us, we can get in seasons where I don't feel like I'm seeing him or hearing him. And I feel distant. 
And it's, it's repentance that leads to awe. I get a fresh look at his mercy, his forgiveness, his grace. And I can, it, it, sin separates. The Bible makes that clear. Like it, it's like a barrier that gets built up. And God wants to break right through that. The way has already been made. Repentance is us saying yes to that way that has been made and seeing that wall torn down and getting a fresh view of him. And so I would just encourage you, these two work together, getting around him, reflecting on him, being honest with ourselves and with him about things that might need to change. A a scary prayer to pray is to ask him to come and, and show you. But it's one of the best prayers you can pray. He'll answer it. And there's healing and forgiveness and freedom on the other side of that prayer. And so I would encourage you to do that. So two things we're going to look at this morning. Number one, Psalm 81. I'd encourage you to read through the whole psalm. I'm going to grab a few pieces of it this morning. Psalm 81 is a reflection on this feast, a reflection on this feast, this idea of of slowing down, acknowledging God. Um, and even repenting if we need to. So check out the heart behind this. I love this. Psalm 81, beginning in verse one. Sing aloud to God our strength. Shout for joy to the God of Jacob. It's a season of joy. It's a season of joy. In Nehemiah and Ezra, when um, there had been years of no temple worship and God's law had been lost and the people had been in captivity, they begin coming back into Jerusalem and they uncover the old book of the law. And it gets uncovered on this day, Rosh Hashanah. It gets uncovered and so they begin to read about what God has for them that day. And the people's reaction was that they were heartbroken. They wept because of all the missed opportunities. They wept that they hadn't heard the law, they hadn't known the law, they hadn't walked with God. But what the priests did is they ran around and encouraged everybody. They said, this isn't a time to cry. This is a moment to celebrate. And so they called everybody to a feast and to celebration. Coming to him in repentance, it's a joyful thing. It's a restoring of life and relationship. And so the psalm starts that way, with celebration and joy. It's the feast of trumpets. It's exciting. Verse 2. Raise a song, sound the tambourine. We, I guess we need to have a tambourine out next Sunday, bro. Just, yeah, I'll, I'll rock the tambourine. Hey, I can get, get with some tambourine. If Oasis can do it, I can do it. There's a random little 90s reference for you guys. Um, the sweet lyre, anybody know what a lyre is? It's like a small guitar. It's like a small guitar, okay. Sweet lyre with the harp, all right? So there's some, some instruments for us. So listen, get the band There's a party going on. Blow the trumpet at the new moon, at the full moon, on our feast day. The psalmist is saying, let's celebrate. Let's stand in awe of God and let's celebrate the freedom and life we have in him. Now, he doesn't stop there. God begins to speak in the psalm and he points out something that's happening with his people that he's inviting them to address. It's not shaming, it's not condemnation, it's an invitation to change. And so here's God speaking over his people and saying, this is my heart for them. This is verses 11 um, through 16. I I skipped a little bit to save time, kind of in the middle of 14 and 15, but this is found in verses 11 through 16. God's now talking and he says, but my people did not listen to my voice. 
Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsel. Man, I've been there. I've been in that place where he was just like, oh, that's what you want, buddy? Okay, go for it. Enjoy that. See how that works out for you. That's a miserable place to be. But he gives us that freedom. He says, listen, my desire is that they would hear my voice, but I love them and I'm giving them the freedom to go after their own pursuits, their own counsels. Verse 13, oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would soon subdue their enemies, turn my hand against their foes, and with honey from the rock, I would satisfy you. God's desire for his people is that we would admit our stubbornness, admit where we've dug our heels in, and listen to his voice. And he says, man, good things come when you do that. When you submit yourself and you listen to my voice, you listen to my counsel, not yours, man, you will find yourself overcoming obstacles. You will find yourself defeating enemies. You will find yourself being refreshed. I will get honey for you from a rock. The last place you would look to be refreshed, you'll find it there. That's how powerful I am. I think it's interesting that he says you'll get this honey from a rock while talking about them changing from being stubborn people to people who will hear his voice. God does heart surgery. He changes hardened hearts into soft hearts of flesh that can beat again. We just got to submit to his skilled hands and let him get to work. There might be some things he needs to cut out of the way so that heart can beat again for him and new life can flow in us. That is his heart for us. This is good news. This is encouragement. Now, in the midst of this passage, he references a specific event in Israel's history. And I think it's worth pausing because at that event, all of these things take place. There's a wrestling with temptation. They get refreshed from a rock. They get victory over their enemies. And they experience God's presence. And so in Psalm 81, verses 6 and 7, it references this history. God said, I relieved your shoulder of the burden. Your hands were freed from the basket. He's talking about when he brought his people out of Egypt. Verse 7, in distress, you called and I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. Now he's talking about what took place in the wilderness. I, mean, I spoke to you on the mountain of God. He goes on and says, I tested you at the waters of Meribah. And then we've got that little word, Selah. You ever seen that before when you're reading through the Psalms? It means basically this. It means pause and consider. Pause and consider. God's inviting us to reflect. So let's take five minutes and pause and consider on this story. Um, in Exodus chapters 13 through 20, you can find everything I'm about to talk about. Exodus 13 through 20. So this is the story of God's people being set free from bondage and slavery in Egypt. He invites them out of Egypt. Um, we have all the 10 plagues and everything. Pharaoh finally agrees to let them go. They arrive at the Red Sea. Pharaoh's changed his mind. They're, the enemy's in hot pursuit. They watch the water get parted and they go through on dry ground. Now they're out in the wilderness. Three days in, they're thirsty. They're in a desert place. 
and they come across a body of water and the water is bitter. And God directs Moses and God heals the water and it becomes sweet and they can drink it and they find refreshment. Then they travel a little further and they find this oasis in a place called Elam. So they go from dry desert, no water, bitter water turned sweet, and now they arrive at an oasis. And they spend several weeks there and they just enjoy this season of refreshing. And then they continue on out into the wilderness. And it's now some weeks later, maybe even a month and a half into their journey, that they're out in the wilderness and they're in between that oasis and Mount Sinai where they get God's law, where Moses goes up and spends time with God. They're in between. Ever been in one of those in-between places? They're in between, and it's a wilderness place. And the first thing that happens is they get hungry. They grumble and they complain and they're frustrated, and God answers their hunger with manna. It's the first place manna shows up. It didn't start day one in the wilderness. It started a little ways in. God provided manna, and it never ceased for 40 days. He met their needs all along the way. They go a little further. Hey, we got plenty of manna now. We're good there. We're thirsty again. And they're in this dry place in Rephidim now, and they're thirsty, and they're grumbling, and that's where we pick up the story. Exodus 17, verse 1. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages. You know, I just love how the Bible has these like dual meanings, right? Like, like this is a GPS, okay? Practically, they're in the wilderness of sin. That's what it was called. And they were moving out of it in stages. But how real is that in our own lives? I mean, I read that was like, oh man, like that is so real for me. There are times where I just, I watch freedom come immediately. And there are times where it's a struggle. It's a battle being set free from something I'm dealing with. God acknowledges that. We move out of the wilderness of our sin in stages. And according to the commandment of the Lord, and they camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? One of the biggest dangers the longer we walk with the Lord is to find ourselves in dry wilderness seasons where we are saying, God, what's up? What's going on? Where are you at? And our human inclination is to ask him to answer for himself. But the reality of our situation, what's truly needed is a sense of humility to say, God, is there something missing here? Let me me start there. Now, I, I don't mean to say that every hard wilderness season is a result of sin. Absolutely not. There are plenty of good, faithful people who just find themselves in a hard place. But this morning, I'm talking about those places we get stuck in that are dry and they're actually a result of something going on in us that needs to be addressed. A place of stubbornness, a blind spot, something I'm not even seeing. And and if we're not careful, we can be so quick to feel like he's let us down when he wants us to see the reality of the situation and find freedom and healing. 
And I love God's compassion here. He doesn't smite them when they're saying this. They're, they're, they're wrestling through in stages, moving out of the wilderness of sin, and they are thirsty, and they don't know what's going on or which end is up, and they're grumbling about it. Help. And so God provides help. And so God speaks to Moses. He says now in verse 6, Behold, I will stand before you on the rock at Horeb. You shall strike the, walk, the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah. That means, by the way, temptation and contention. It's a place of wrestling. It's a place of struggle. Because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? Here's, here's what I love about this. They didn't have all the right answers, but in their moment of crisis, they cried out for help. And God heard them. And he provided literally water from the rock. Everything the psalmist writes about years later. Not only that, immediately after this, as he provides them water, they get attacked by an enemy. And God gives them victory over this sneak attack. And so they move from wrestling, struggling, grumbling, the season of temptation and contention with God. They cry out for help, and he brings water that refreshes. He defeats their enemy, and then they arrive at Sinai to the mountain of God where they spend time in his presence. Moses sets up the tent of meeting, and ultimately they receive from God his law. In other words, because they humbled themselves, let him speak into their situation, they went from following their counsel to receiving his. They got his law, his ways, his direction, and it offered guidance in their lives. Psalm 81 says, pause and consider this. Pause and consider this. Remember the testing. Remember the water. Remember the enemies defeated. Remember the presence of God. That's what the psalmist is saying. So our application this morning, here you go. Rosh Hashanah is a call to reflect and worship. It is not meant to be a general reminder. It's meant to be a personal, tangible specific reminder. Guys, grace is not a concept. It's not a good idea. It's something specific and personal we are meant to experience in our lives. And the way we experience God's grace in our lives is by living with him in the moment, tangible, real, specific, right now, I get a dose of God's grace in my life when I pause long enough to look for it, to ask for it, to acknowledge it's missing. God, I've been living apart from your grace. God, I've been doing my own thing. God, your grace has been there and present, but I haven't been very aware of it. Whatever the case may be, it's personal, it's specific. Seasons and moments like this where we pause to reflect, if they're just routine and ritual, we miss it. If we just celebrate Easter and Christmas, because that's what we're supposed to do, we miss the heart of God. 
the reality is he invites us. Our invitation today is to reflect, repent if and where is needed, and then be refreshed. That's the offer. Reflect, repent, and be refreshed. That's God's desire for you. I want to close with this. I want to, get, I want to give you all something to chew on. I want to give you something specific you can do. All right? This is homework if you want it. Now, this, this isn't the only thing you can do. There's different ways we can reflect and invite God to speak into our lives. But I do find it interesting that there are 10 days of awe and repentance, and there are 10 commandments that we are called to follow. And so I wonder what would happen if we slowed down by way of reflection and paused and said, God, will you speak to me on each of these and show me if there's, if there's anything I'm missing here. If there's something, I'll invite him to come speak on that level. So we can pop these up on the board. I'm going to give you just a brief run through of this. But this would be something you do at home in your prayer closet. It could be a 10-day thing. It can be a few minutes one morning this week. But what if you slowed down and invited him to speak to you personally? It says, number one, there's no other gods before him. God, does anything else come first in order of priority in my life? Is there something I've, I've put ahead of you that, that takes precedence? No idols. You know, it's funny, like I, for years I thought of that as a really weird one that wasn't very realistic for our day and age. But I mean, like, what in the world do you think Instagram and Facebook are? We create these images. Other people create them. We try to live up to them. We try to shape and mold them and present ourselves a certain way to get our own satisfaction or approval of others. Man, if that's not an idol, I don't know what is. I'm not saying Instagram itself is an idol, but what we do with it, right? We, without anybody even intentionally speaking a word to us, we feel like we fall short, like there's some image we can't quite obtain to. And we don't even know what's on the other side of that thing. We don't know how real that is. We absolutely deal with idols in our culture. That's just one example. Don't take his name in vain. Uh, maybe you have a problem with cursing, but I think this verse is about a lot more than that. It's about if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, don't be so flippant with that. You've taken on his name. Don't do it in vain. Represent him well. Am I representing him well with my kids in my workplace? Don't take his name in vain. Keep the Sabbath. Are you trusting in your strength or his? The Sabbath is about slowing down and acknowledging I need him. He's my provider. He's my rest. Jesus has finished the work. If you're someone that has to do it all yourself and arrange it all yourself, I was kind of having a moment of talking about that with some friends in the hall this morning. Like, that's me. I sure was trying to control everything. Slow down and rest. Let him be in control. Honor your parents. Think about your relationships. You can think specifically about your relationship with your parents, but think about your relationships. Is something broken there you need to make right? Don't murder. Everybody's starting to feel better now, right? <laughs> of course, then Jesus shows up and gets really annoying and says, if you have hatred in your heart towards a brother, you've committed murder. And then he goes on and says, if you've lusted after someone, you've committed adultery. Thanks, Jesus. 
Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Misrepresenting the truth maybe about yourself or someone else. Don't covet. Just encourage you guys. Not Again, these aren't, this isn't an impossible standard to live up to. It's about reflecting on your life and saying, God, I want my life to belong to you. And I want to be in right, healthy relationship with you. And I want your grace that brings forgiveness and it brings new life. God, I can live out the life you're inviting me to. And so, God, I'm inviting you to help me see where I might need to repent. God, I want that wall broken down. I want to hear your voice. I want to be in right relationship with you. God, I need your daily grace today. Today. Peter preached the very first sermon after Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension. And he wrapped it up with these words. I love how this ties in. Acts 3, 19 through 21. Repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. That's what atonement is. That's what Yom Kippur represents. That times of refreshing may come because you finally got that thing you were hoping for. Because vacation week came early this year. I love how, is it Pam in the office that takes her vacation on like January 1 every year? She waits as long as she possibly can to take vacation and takes it January 1. Um, Listen, what are we waiting on that refreshes us? It's his presence that actually refreshes and restores us. So we repent in order to receive times of refreshing from his presence that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. Listen to that. That he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. I want my appointment with Jesus today. His appointment with me today, where he shows up as as the atoning savior of my life today. And I receive refreshment from his presence because I was willing to repent and say, God, come, you be king of my life. You break this heart of stone and make it breathe again. Make it alive again. Repent, refreshing, Jesus comes to you personally. And Peter says, man, this is what the prophets have been talking about for a long time. That Jesus whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. See, when we practice this in micro ways, not microwaves, microwaves, it's a picture of what's happening on a macro level. God is restoring all things. He's redeeming all things. He forgives us now and eternally, and we can practice that with daily renewal and refreshing in his presence when we invite him to come, when we repent. Man, let's travel light this year. Let's travel light. Let's, let's get rid of that junk. Cast our burdens on him. He says he can handle them, and he'll take them, and he wants to refresh us. So let's do that. So I, I would just encourage you, whatever that might look like, this week, to today, this afternoon, slow down and, and practice some New Year's repentance instead of New Year's resolution. Invite him to come speak in your life. Spend some time with him. If you're, if you're not sure, if, if you're hearing from him, ask somebody around you. That's another leap of faith, right? Ask a spouse, ask a friend, is there something you're seeing in these categories where I can grow in? And if someone asks you that, speak the truth 
in love so we can be healed. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your grace that is eternal and for all. But God, I thank you for your grace that is specific today. God, for daily tangible grace right here, right now, that you are faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God, I thank you that you long to give us times of refreshing in your presence. And so God, I I pray that we could have our own season of awe and repentance. God, just a renewed connection with you moving into this new year. God, I thank you that your grace enables us to be forgiven, to have a fresh start, to have new mercy. God, it also empowers us to live the life you're inviting us into moving forward. We trust you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.